Hello, it's the Tennis Podcast, and I am your host, Nick. I'm Brandon. Um, yep. I'm back. I'm still here. Yeah, sometimes I hope that I just say that, and then nothing will return, and I'll be able to do this podcast just one episode without your constant bullshit. You gotta stop calling me right before you hit record. Yeah, you're right. That might have something to do with it. I'll have to look into it. Mm-hmm. Well, Brandon, I'm assuming we have a lot to talk about. What What's your list today? Oh, I've been so busy lately going out to crowded bars to play kickball with my friends, mm-hmm. to go to my annual spitting contest. Yeah, I haven't had time to work on a list. I guess I forgot. Uh, well, I guess I'll have to pull out one of my backup lists. I happen to have it handy here. We got a hot and heavy topic to talk about today. But before I tell you what it is, before we get going, I have a few plugs I want to get out of the way. Is that all right? Butt p- is that okay you with got you? got some butt plugs to remove. Yeah. So, just prepare your ears. <laughs> yeah, it's about to be an unpleasant few minutes. Uh, I want to remind everyone that this show, The Tennis Podcast, that's the show you're listening to. It's part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. You should check out their 100 other podcasts at bluewirepods.com. I also want to let you know that Brandon and myself were guest interviewees on two podcasts that were released. By the time you're listening to this, they're both released. We're hot stuff. We're a couple hot little potatoes. First, we did Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. Uh, he would never have me on. He knows I'm worthless. And then we did the Joe Rogan Show. Not really, but we did the next best thing. That is, first of all, (laughs) the Table to Stage podcast. Mm -hmm. A cool podcast exploring the creativity of creators everywhere with a focus on the arts. Brandon and I called and chatted with the host, Jordan, about how Brandon and I met, our history of podcasting, a little bit of butt talk. And also, Jordan brought a list of the top 10 highest grossing films based on Broadway musicals. And Brandon and I tried to guess that list. He busted a list on us and he did a really good job. He did. He knew, he knew the format well. Well, hang on, but he did, he, he did it. He okay. Could, I mean, what's not... What I'm saying is he could step in anytime. Yeah. That's the Table to Stage podcast. The other show we did was the Robin Slim show and that is a... I mean, Brandon, how would you describe that show in a few words? I wrote a crazy ride of an internet radio show. <laughs> it's like the morning zoo, but it's on in the evening. Yeah. We chatted with Robin Slim about our favorite top 10 list to date, how we compile our lists and some other shit. That's the Rob and Slim show and then the Table to Stage show. Both of those podcasts are out now on pretty much any podcast app out there. So, I hope you'll check them out. All right. We got our plugs out of the way. We're done. Brandon, mm-hmm. I hope you have a great rest of your week. Hope our listeners wash their hands. If we're done, I'm going to go finally watch some of that Tiger King everybody's been talking about. Uh, Brandon's behind on Tiger King. Well, by the time this comes out, we'll all be on to the next thing. Yeah, it's true. Tiger King, we're going to have to do a bonus episode or something about Tiger King. There's just too much to say about it. I got to catch up. I'm halfway through the second episode and... Second episode, Brandon, it's been like two weeks. There's been more twists and turns in one and a half episodes than the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy so far. Yeah, and in one one millionth of the time. Okay, let's table the Tiger King talk because I'll get down a rabbit hole quick if we don't pivot. Today's episode is going to be hot and heavy. It's going to upset a lot of people. It's going (laughs) to disturb a lot of people. Good. But Brandon's going to love it. We're going to talk about the most Prolific serial killers in the history of the United Kingdom. Oh, no. I don't know very many of their names. Is that going to be a... You know some of them. Okay. 
and the rest I'll fill you in on. But So, I might be doing more learning than showing off my knowledge today. You'll guess some, okay. I promise you. Most prolific serial killers, what does that mean? We're going to look at the serial killers that have the highest confirmed body count. There are serial killers on this list that have a suspected higher body count, sometimes a lot more. But the ranking that I'm going to be doing is only based on the bodies that have been confirmed in a court of law. So, Brandon, what is a serial killer? Tell the folks at home. Is there anybody who doesn't know? It's somebody who's killed... Serial mascots? Over a... I knew you were going to make some goddamn <laughs> fucking serial joke. Listen. <laughs> Come on. It's somebody who kills uh, multiple people, more than two people over a long period of time. It's different from a spree killer or a mass murderer in that a spree killer or a mass murderer does them all at once in kind of one blow. Yep. But a serial killer... They get ramped up and get all antsy in the pantsy and they got to act out and then they have a cooling down period. It's usually sexually driven. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Brandon, luckily we're doing the United Kingdom, so you don't have to worry about us calling your ass out for all the killing you've done recently. I can't get out of the house. I haven't... I, well... All the inflatable tube men around all the dealer car dealerships around the country are breathing a sigh of relief this week that Brandon can't leave his house. To murder them? Yeah. I thought they weren't inflatable. I thought they were just powered by the wind. Okay. Are they wind socks? I, I mean, something's blowing them up to get them to the point of being Who's blowing these guys? In the wind. Well, a big sweaty fat salesman. <laughs> if you have sold the fewest cars, you got to blow into the dancing guy. Yeah. All right. Good deal. <laughs> so, okay. a serial killer kills a bunch of people over a longer period of time. Yeah, and it's a topic of fascination for Brandon and I, so I knew he'd like this list. But we're going to look at United Kingdom countries only. That is Great Britain, Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales. Originally, I was going to do all of Europe, but that ended up being just the top 10 Russian serial killers list. <laughs> I was going to say, they got a good like mwah, serial killer soup, like a nice serial killer stew going over in Russia. I want to let you know that we covered this same list, but for America, way back in episode number eight. When Brandon and I were just little podcast little babies. Couldn't fucking wait to get to it. And I have to give a disclaimer because some people, I don't know, I mean, for those of you out there that aren't big into true crime or you don't listen to some of the other podcasts that delve into this topic, today's episode might be a little jarring for you because I got some details that are going to make you sick to your stomach. But I want to let you know up front that although we will be joking around and grab-assing, as you might say, we, of course, mean no disrespect to the victims of those affected by the monsters and assholes that we're talking about today. We are strictly poking fun at the evil sacks of shit on this list. And I want to let you know, too, that due to time, I'm not going to have time to go into details of each murder victim. I'm just going to provide an overview of the crimes of the killer. Okay. Fair enough? Yeah. I mean, you make the rules here. We're living in your world. Brandon, who would you say is the most famous UK serial killer of all time? Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Do you think he's in the top 10? No, he didn't rip enough. Nope. He, he only ripped like three or four, didn't he? Well, some say five. It varies. Although he's the most famous killer and there's all kinds of controversy about even if he was one person, whatever, we're not going to get into it. He's not in this top 10 list. And I have an interesting stat here before I let you start guessing that excluding one unique case that we're going to talk about later, taking that case out on the worldwide list of serial killers by body mm -hmm. count, the highest UK killer is number 40. UK only has one out of the top 40 serial killers. They're pretty chill over there. Whereas the US has five of the top 40. Yeah, we're not chill. God bless America. And Russia is the most represented country in the top 40. 
<laughs> I would say that Russia has a lot going for it that drives that in that they have, I feel like they have more um, like small isolated communities. Probably a lot of those happened during the Cold War when it was probably easier for people to disappear without a lot of questions or someone looking into it. I think they have a lot of bad times over there, especially during the Cold War. I think they had a lot of bad times and bad times breed uh, bad boys. Yeah, and you know, they say that the golden age of serial killing in America was the 60s and 70s, maybe into the 80s. I'm going to tell you that mm, that's pretty well represented here in the UK list as well. My source today is our friends at Wikipedia. And of course, all of Wikipedia's facts that I pulled were sourced by various citations and I'm not going to list them all. Yeah, you don't need to know that stuff. Don't worry about it. Okay, shout out some names. How about Rosemary West? Rosemary West. I have her as a package deal with Fred West. Oh yeah, I forgot because I'd forgotten the man's name. Fred and Rosemary West. Oh man. This is, uh, I, I, I went straight for it. Yeah, this, I have probably more notes on this, on this entry than it. This is number five. Fred and Rosemary West are among the top few most famous killers in American history and I put them as a package deal. They have 12 confirmed murders between the two of them. Yeah. They're suspected of up to 20 total, but only proven of 12. Their time frame of murders was a 20-year period, 1967 to 1987. Now, they did some of the most heinous shit I've ever heard of, but before I get into the details of their crimes, I want to give our listeners a little backstory on their lives before crime, because I think it kind of sets the stage to let you know that these people had no chance. They were born, they were bred. Born and bred to be fucked up at this. Yeah. So, remember, as I'm talking through this, they killed at least 12 people. Now, Fred West was born in 1941. He came from a poor family of farm workers. His father was a disciplinarian. His mother was overprotective. Fred claims that he was introduced to sex by his mother at age 12. God bless. He engaged in bestiality with animals in his early teens. And his belief of incest being normal stemmed from his father's incest with his sisters. So, I just said a lot in one sentence. With his... Okay, his father with... Okay, got it. His father was having incest with his sisters. His mother introduced him to sex at age 12. He was also regularly having bestiality. This is all preteens and teen years. Now, it's worth noting that Fred's brother, Doug, say that... (laughs) Doug was like, I'm not a part of any of this. (laughs) He said this is all not true and Fred's making it up. So, who knows? It's probably grains of truth. Quite an imagination, Fred. God, Fred's imagination will be the downfall of a lot of people here. Now, his wife... We'll get back to Fred. His wife, Rose, or Rosemary, she was born in 1953, about 12 years after Fred. Her parents separated when she was a teenager... She lived with her mother and later moving in with her father at age 16. Her father, who suffered from paranoid schizophrenia, was prone to extreme violence and repeatedly sexually abused her and her sister. At the onset of puberty, Rosemary, reportedly fascinated by her own developing body, would deliberately parade naked around the house in the presence of her younger brother. On numerous occasions at the age of 13, she would creep into her nine-year-old brother's bed at nightfall and molest him. She molested her own brothers. You know, I'm not telling all this just to like, yeah, I'm struggling to find the, I'm struggling to find the joke angle. Yeah, I, that's not what I'm going for here. I'm just really trying to let- You're going for gasps? <gasps> yeah, I yeah, just- Yeah, Rose, that's some bad shit. She was abused, right? Yeah, she was, it's usually when kids abuse other oh, yeah. kids, it's because they got abused first. Most kids don't come out like fucking coming monsters. It's an adult monster. 
Okay, so, but let's say like her father was probably abused as a child too, right? It's just a chain. Yeah. yeah so it's like this never-ending chain reaction. We got to go back and find that first guy who was an adult yeah. and had never been abused as a child and thought, I'm going to pick on this child. And we need to go back in time. And okay, so pre-Jesus then? Yeah. Because this is, I'm sure this is... Lo- <laughs> it was a caveman. Okay, so let's work on that time machine. If anyone's got a time machine, John Triton, if he's, wasn't that the Titer. guy's name? Titer? If he's, Titer? Titer. Yeah, if he's out there listening, send us those schematics for time traveling so we can uh, figure this out. Go back and get that guy. But really, the, the real reason I'm telling all this is because this stuff is going to come up again and again in their lives Uh-oh. as killers. Okay, so that's Rosemary and Fred as children growing up. Now, in 1972, they married, Fred and Rosemary. Okay, shortly after giving birth to her second child, Rose began to work as a prostitute, operating <laughs> from an upstairs room at their residence and advertising her services in a local magazine. What was the magazine? I don't have the name. Popular Mechanics. <laughs> she was going for the pocket protector crowd. It gets so much worse from here. Okay. In addition to her prostitution, Rose engaged in casual sex with both male and female lodgers within their household and individuals Fred encountered via his work. She also she bragged just, to several... Hey, man. She was someone comes walking by. She's like, hey, man. You gonna... Are you gonna fuck this? It's waiting. The theme of these people's lives is sex. Everything is sex. Every single sentence I'm about to read, and there's a lot of sentences I'm going into, every one of them will end with sex. I promise you. And they are more than just a little bit homely. Yeah, if you look at a picture of them, I mean, Fred has like a creepy thing going. He has a creepy look, I have to admit. But Rosemary's a very normal looking like... She looks like somebody's mom. Yeah, she looks like a mom. Uh, but she's actually the worst of the two, you'll find out. She was having sex with people for free and for pay in their house. Like, Fred knew about it. It's like, uh, Rose, you're the world's worst prostitute. You have to take money from them. <laughs> no shit. What is that? She also bragged often that no man or woman could satisfy her. Yeah. When engaging in sex with women, Rose would gradually increase the level of brutality. Whoa. Brutality to which she subjected her partner with acts such as partially suffocating her partner or inserting increasingly large dildos into her partner's body, like to the point of pain. Fred would often watch Rosemary with her clients and or participate. She is uh, definitely, sounds like she's probably a bit of, like she's the boss. She's wearing the pants. Yes. She's wearing... Well, she's not wearing pants, I can promise that, but... She's wearing the strap on. She's wearing the strap on. In that relationship. I won't get into too many details here, but if it's not obvious already, there was a lot of domestic violence in the home from both Rosemary and Fred to each other and to their kids. They had eight kids. Frequency of abuse endured by his two oldest girls increased when they reached puberty. Fred was overt and unapologetic in his conduct and would justify his actions with the simple explanation, I made you, I can do what I like with you. Uh, Is that what you say to your... uh, Home-cooked meals that you make at home. I made you. I can do what I want with you. All the hot dogs that you... I'm not going to eat this French toast. I'm going to bury it. I'll do whatever (laughs) I want with it. He further referred to his intentions to impregnate both his daughters and at least one occasion... Goodness. ...would occasionally force all his children to watch pornography together as a family. I hate watching... America's Funniest Videos as a family. I can't imagine how much worse (laughs) it is. I think I said this once on the show, but I watched one episode of Game of Thrones with my parents Uh and it was like so uncomfortable. (laughs) Excuse me while I turn myself inside out. (laughs) Exactly. I just... 
my last note on this bullet is that he told his oldest son, Stephen, to expect to have to have sex with his mother by age 17. So he was raping his own daughters and he was telling his son, just know that by the time you're age 17, you're, you're going to have to have sex with your mom. Both of these people needed to be, I mean, well, ultimately just needed to be put down. But at the very least, they both needed to have their crotches zapped with a laser. How much better off would the world be without these people? Okay, now here's, believe it or not, it gets really fucked up here. So, <laughs> wait a second. We've been on the normal train for a little while? This has been the normal train. Okay. And we haven't got to the victims. By 77, so Rose's father, uh, remember he abused and raped his daughter when she was growing up, Rosemary. Yep. He, he didn't like Fred, but he finally uh, began to develop respect for Fred. Together, he and Fred opened a cafe together. But when the father, Rose's father, discovered Rose's prostitution, what would you guess his response was? He had sex with her. He would routinely visit and have sex with his daughter. Yep. I thought, what's the worst answer here? That was the answer. That was a real answer. And Fred knew about it. He encouraged it. He let it happen. He watched it. I just, ugh, even without all the murders that we haven't even got to yet. I was going to have a snack later. I'm not going to have a snack later now. If you're listening to the show and you're like new to this story and or you're not like a typical true crime podcast listener, I just want to apologize yeah. again. Like, you know what the worst food to eat with this podcast would be right, uh, today? Dildo milkshake? No, bologna. Why bologna? I don't know. Something about talking about like a bunch of incest makes like, yeah. I don't know, it's bologna. Yeah, it is bologna. So, by 1983, Rosemary had given birth to eight children at least three of whom were conceived by clients. Fred willingly accepted these children as his own. That, that's the fucked up thing about this is Fred is like supporting Rosemary every step of the he way. He is, a, that's a very supportive man. He accepted you these- fuck your dad? I'm behind you 100%. Yeah, can I watch? Falsely informed them their reason their skin was darker than that of their siblings was because his great-grandmother was a black woman. It's <laughs> a quote from Wikipedia. Okay, so now- Let's get to the murders. Okay. This is what earned them number five in this top 10. Fred and Rosemary committed their first known murder in 1973. Their first victim, Linda Go, or Gao, was found dismembered on their property. The jaw was completely wrapped in adhesive and surgical tape to silence her screams, and two small tubes had likely been inserted into her nasal cavities to allow breathing. That's because long sections of string and sections of knotted fabric were also discovered with her remains. She had likely been suspended from holes carved in the wooden beams supporting the ceiling of the cellar, and Fred later admitted he had devised this system for the purpose of suspending his victims' bodies for a long time, and they died of either strangulation or suffocation. So they're a couple, and their thing was that they would get a woman, and they wanted to basically like torture and assault her, and then it escalated to uh, murdering them, right? Yeah, and they would suspend them up into the air below the ceiling above the ground and they were there for a while i don't know if it was days or just like hours but they were there a long time so i mean long enough that they had to have small tubes inserted into their nasal cavities to breathe because their jaws were locked shut that was their first known victim fred and rosemary mainly targeted young women but were also found guilty of a murder of their own daughter they killed one of their kids they also raped several of their kids so again, there were 12 confirmed murders. At least eight of these murders involved sexual gratification, included rape, bondage, torture, mutila torture mutilation. They were all buried in the cellar in the garden of the West Cromwell Street home in Gloucester, which became known as the House of Horrors. 
They're also found guilty of murdering their own daughter, and Rose is known to have murdered Fred's stepdaughter from his first marriage, Charmaine. So, how were they finally caught? How were these monsters brought down? In 1992, their 13-year-old daughter Louise had been raped multiple times by her father. She finally confided in a close friend. The friend's mother anonymously called the police. This led to Fred's arrest, and despite Fred's insistence for years that his wife held no knowledge of any of the murders, investigators suspected otherwise. Rose was finally arrested on April 20th, 420, 1994, and they were convicted in 94 as well. Now, the interesting thing is uh, the children said Rosemary did most of the abuse and she was the worst of the two. So, wait, what happened? Did she get, uh, she got arrested too. And she, did yeah. she go to prison? Here's what happened. Uh, yeah, they both went to prison. Fred was on suicide watch for a while. Finally, the suicide watch relaxed and in 95, one year after conviction, he asphyxiated himself in his cell by wrapping in an improvised rope he had constructed from a blanket and tags he had stolen from prison laundry bags, tied that around his neck, binding this device to a door handle and window catchment sinking to his knees. He died. Oh, dickhead. He left a suicide note. Do you want to know what it said? Yes. It's so sweet. I think you'll really find it romantic. He left a note and it said, in loving memory, Fred West, Rose West. Rest in peace. He should have said West in peace, am I right? Oh, God. Rest in peace where no shadow falls. In perfect peace, he waits for Rose, his wife. In perfect peace. No one deserves peace more. West in peace was good though, right? She's still alive. Yes. So, Rose was sentenced to life in prison with no parole. As of 2019, she still insists she was innocent. So, she's shown no remorse. The West House in uh, Cromwell Street was demolished in October 1996 with every piece of debris destroyed to discourage potential souvenir hunters. It had been referred to in the press as the House of Horrors and the site was later redeveloped into a public pathway. And that is Fred and Rosemary West, maybe the worst on this list. They are number five with 12 confirmed murders. Jeebus. So, how, how's everyone feeling out there? Does everyone want to take a quick drink of water, maybe pace around the house for a few hours? I can take a walk around the block. Whew. You said there's 10 of these today? Yeah. So, fuck you, Fred and Rosemary West. They're the worst. Like, seriously, they give me the fucking Well, creeps. they're not I number one. Them. What number were they? Five. Number five. I do think they're, they're the most evil on this list, I think. Yeah, the amount of incest and just throwing their throwing their sex around like it's uh like it's so much sex the yucky kinds awful i'm trying to think of some other ones i know the names of i'm wondering where does dennis uh it's dennis right uh nielsen yeah. or nelson yeah dennis nelson uh that's nil like n-i-l-s-e-n mm -hmm. dennis nelson he's number six right after the west's Oh, this is another bad one. You got the two worst out of the way first. So well, Those are the ones I remember. He and the West are who I have the most notes on. The others are shorter, I promise. Okay. But I, I do have a lot on him. He's a mess. He was into some yucky things. Yeah. Dennis Nilsson, number six. He also has 12 confirmed murders. The reason I put him behind the West, who also have 12 murders, is because they have a higher suspected count. He's known as the Moosewell... Moose Will House murderer, I've heard him called the British Jeffrey Dahmer. He's very Jeffrey Dahmer-esque in ways. He's a Scottish serial killer and necrophile 
who murdered at least 12 young men in London, England. I'll get to the murder soon, but first, want our listeners to have a better understanding of Nilsson the man prior to the murder, similar to what I did with the Wests. Nilsson was deeply troubled throughout his life, and was deeply ashamed of being gay. Kept it to himself throughout his childhood and into his days in the army. During his time in the army, his sexual fantasies continued to develop and evolve into obsession with unconscious or dead bodies. If you're going to become obsessed with something, maybe knitting or tennis or the tennis podcast, don't become obsessed with unconscious or dead bodies. Would you say that's good advice? I mean, how do you stop? If you're out there and you have an obsession with unconscious or dead bodies... You probably just need to talk to a therapist, right? You need to talk to a therapist, please. I've heard about people who they will ask their partner to get in a cold bath or like I've heard about people who will ask their partner to like basically pretend to be dead for them. Yeah. And I like I know people are into kinky shit. And, That's probably okay you know, long... if you're acting it out with someone who doesn't care. But there's red flags. Just be cautious with that. That's, a, That's all I'm going to say. It's a bit of a red flag. It's slippery slope. Okay. So, on several occasions... Nilsson, uh, Dennis Nilsson, had made tentative efforts to have his own prone body sexually interfered with by one of his colleagues in the army. Wait, what? He wanted his prone body interfered with? Yes, that's like he laid down on his stomach with his butt in the air and he was like, interfere with me, boys. Almost literally that. Take this hill. When I said he's obsessed with dead or unconscious bodies, he was most obsessed with his own body being unconscious. He wanted to be taken advantage of. He wanted to be raped, essentially. He would lay on the ground. Whenever his colleagues drank to excess, Nelson would pretend he was inebriated in the hope one of his colleagues would make sexual use. <laughs> That's the way it said on Wikipedia. Sexual use of his supposedly unconscious body. He has like a, a sip of brandy and he's <laughs> the back of his pants are falling out. He's like, oh God, oopsie. I do that, but instead of wanting to be sexually interfered with, I just want people to listen to my podcast. I'll just lay around unconscious in the middle of the street and when people come by... With your butt sticking out. <laughs> when people come by, I'll just blast this podcast on... Oopsie. <laughs> Oops, my naked butt rubbed on all over your penis. <laughs> he had his own room in the army. He began compensating for his fantasies by imagining sexual encounters with an unconscious body uh-huh. as he masturbated while looking at his own nude body in a mirror. On one occasion, Nilsson discovered that by using a freestanding mirror, he could create an effect whereby if positioning the mirror so his head was out of view, he could visualize himself engaged in a sexual act with another man. You got all that? He was he would, using the mirror to like fuck himself or make it make yeah. him... You know, is he you know a how, narcissist too? Uh, like he's admiring his own body and he's, he's using a mirror to, to basically like... You don't do that? Fuck himself. I mean, th- oh, that sounds very narcissistic. I don't know. Maybe I don't understand narcissism. I think a lot of serial killers are narcissists. But it's basically the extreme step up from that old trick of, (laughs) I've never done this, to be clear, but where you sit on your hand to where it falls asleep and then you jerk off with it so it feels like someone else is jerking you off. Wait, what? (laughs) You've heard that, right? Oh, the, what's it called? The, uh, the stranger? I don't know what it's called. I guess you do though. So, can you tell us from experience what you think about this trick? I've heard about it. Like you... Whatever. You make your hand yeah, fall asleep and then, you, and then you use that hand to jerk off. And then when it, my hand is asleep, I can't control it enough to do something like that. It's yeah. just kind of like a, a lump on the end of my arm. During your attempts at doing this trick, you've never succeeded because you can't control your hand? I have not done this. Okay. Well, he, he did that. He would basically 
simulate having sex with another man using his own naked body in a mirror. So he left the army. By late 1978, Dennis Nilsson was living a solitary existence. He just had three failed relationships in the last 18 months, and he later confessed to having developed an increasing conviction that he was unfit to live with. He was having uh, confidence issues. So between 1973, uh, sorry, 1978 and 1983, Dennis Nilsson is known to have killed a minimum of 12 men and boys and have attempted to kill seven others. The majority of Nilsson's victims were homeless and or homosexual men. Others were heterosexual people he typically met in bars or public transport. All the murders were committed inside his apartment. His victims were lured to his apartment. Typically, the offer was alcohol and or shelter. He's probably preying on some pretty vulnerable people. Yes, the less than. Or what do they say? The, the less missing. The less dead. The less dead, yeah. Which is the concept of homeless people and minorities. Prostitutes. Are easier for law enforcement to sex disregard. So you're supposed to say yeah. sex workers, yeah. I don't know, but Wikipedia had prostitutes. Yeah, so I'm just reading what It's it okay said. to be a prostitute. We can say prostitute. I don't think that's derogatory. If you're a sex worker, we appreciate you listening. Yeah, don't unsubscribe. Inside Dennis Nilsson's home, the victims were usually given food and alcohol, then strangled, either to death or until they had become unconscious. If the victim had been strangled into unconsciousness, Nilsson then drowned them in his bathtub, his sink, or a bucket of water before observing a ritual in which he bathed, clothed, and retained the bodies inside his residence for several weeks or occasionally months before he dismembered them. He would sometimes keep one dead body in, under his floorboards for months at a time. Dennis Nilsson was what we call a product killer. Some killers are a process killer, which means they're sexually gratified by the act of killing. They like the violent, controlling, domination act of killing. Whereas a product killer like Dennis Nilsson, much like Jeffrey Dahmer too, killing was a means to an end. He killed so that he could have a dead body in his possession. Okay, so he kept the bodies for weeks or months. Each victim killed in his first house was disposed of via burning upon a bonfire. Prior to dissection and dismemberment, Nilsson removed their internal organs, which he disposed of beside a fence behind his flat in trash bags, or he melted their flesh down, cooked it down, boiled it down, and flushed it down the toilet. That, and their bones, smaller bones. That's not a long-term strategy, Dennis. No. Dennis seems like he's probably more of an inside kid who probably <laughs> yeah, doesn't... Nothing wrong with that. But it, and also probably doesn't understand things like, yeah, if you flush a bunch of body stuff down the toilet... Well, don't you? Am I right? Well... I know what you mean. Yeah. If you must kill somebody, don't do that. Be smart about but it. But if you are, don't flush them down the toilet. Yeah. Okay. A few more notes here and then we'll get to his capture. Dennis Nilsson admitted to engaging in masturbation as he viewed the nude bodies of several of his victims and to have engaged in sexual acts with six of his victims' bodies, but he was adamant. Like, look, the whacking off was fine. You can whack <laughs> off and look at anything except for kids. But all the other stuff he did was pretty bad. <laughs> He's like, I admit to masturbating and that's all. Well, he, he said he admitted in like being uh, sexual with the bodies, except he never penetrated, he said. He said he never penetrated his victims. He drew the line there, Brandon. He's very respectful. The way he was caught is almost as crazy as all of I've sold so far. He was found because a dino rod employee is like a plumbing service. Get out of here. I was right. I forgot what? that's how they found it. Is that? Yeah. Because <laughs> all the body part stuff you flushed down? He flushed down the toilet. Of course, that's going to cause problems. You dumb motherfucker. He lived in an apartment. 
So the apartment building started having plumbing issues because of all the bullshit in the, in the plumbing. And so several tenants made complaints. They called the plumber out. And this is in 1983. They opened the drain cover at the side of the house. Huh. And the dino rod plumber discovered the drain was, quote, packed with a flesh-like substance and numerous small bones of unknown origin. <sighs> Just imagine that, looking that down into the drainage. Fucking bad day to be a plumber. In addition to all the shit and other stuff that's already in there. Prior to leaving the property, Nilsson and a fellow tenant convened with the, work, with the plumber to discuss the source of the substance. This is a case where, like, the killer wants to be close to the investigation, mm -hmm. right? He's to control it. He's trying to get ahead of it. Upon hearing the plumber exclaim how similar the substance was in appearance to human flesh, Dennis Nilsson replied, quote, It looks to me like someone has been flushing down their Kentucky Fried Chicken. Good save, Dennis. <laughs> he got him. You know, the plumber was immediately like, okay, well, uh, this chicken was wearing a necklace. <laughs> This chicken had a gold tooth. Dennis Nilsson thought that by telling him, oh, someone must have just flushed their KFC down. It's just chicken. That they'd be like, oh, case closed. Yeah. No big oh. deal. There's nothing weird or strange about people flushing chicken down the toilet. You're right. You're right. Uh, I'm going to leave this alone. I'm just going to put this back where I found it. See you, see you guys. Obviously, they discovered these were human bones. And when they found out that this all originated from Dennis's apartment. Dennis is like, Kentucky Fried Chicken has been frying people? <laughs> I can't believe what they've been feeding me. That's good, Brandon. That's a good save, right? No, you got I it. I would have stayed out of prison. Damn, you should have been there. You should have been dead. You should have just done Dennis, all these crimes. Dennis. It would be worth it for you to have done all these crimes just for you to use that one-liner yeah. at this point in the investigation. Oh, it'd almost all be worth it. Not really. Okay, so they finally wanted to look at Dennis's apartment. He, of course, complied. He's still trying to play it off cool, thinking he's going to get away with this. Yeah. They're in his apartment. The, uh, the police are involved now. And uh, they immediately noted the strong odor of rotting flesh because he stored fucking bodies in there for months at a time. Sorry, guys. I ate some uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken earlier. You might still be smelling that. <sighs> okay. I skipped a line here. Before they got to his apartment, uh -huh. when he was talking to the police, the police wanted to talk to him. He said, why are the police involved in a plumbing issue? And they had told him that it had been caused by human remains, the blockage. And Nilsson feigned shock and bewilderment, stating, good grief, how awful. Good grief, how awful. <laughs> He, he said he's, well, he's Scottish, right? Scottish, yeah. He said, I don't know how to do this guy. I don't know. Good grief. That's what uh, Charlie Brown Charlie says. Brown, yeah. So, they're in the apartment now. The smell's overwhelming. And the police finally are like, stop fucking around. What's going on yeah, in here? Quit griefing us. Nilsson responded calmly, admitting that there were bodies in plastic bags in his closet. The police went to his closet. Uh, they did not open the cupboard, uh, but asked Nilsson if there were any other body parts to be found, which Nilsson replied, it's a long story. It goes back a long time. I'll tell you everything. I want to get it off my chest. Not here. At the police station. <laughs> what an asshole. Not here. It smells like Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> you know his ass is nose blind. You know those Febreze commercials where they're yeah. like, you're nose blind. That's Dennis Nilsson. He was so used to living with Kentucky Fried Chicken dead body smells that he didn't even notice it anymore. It's like you with hot dog smells uh -huh. in your apartment. Okay, so they arrest him. They took him to the police station. As he was escorted to the police station, Nilsson was asked whether the remains in his flat belonged to one person or two. 
Uh-huh. Staring out the window of the police car, he replied, 15 or 16 since 1978. <laughs> Can you fucking imagine? You drama queen. He really, he's hoping that they would ask him something like that. Well, imagine thinking, is it one or two? God, please say it's not two. And he says, 15 or 16. The answer is, it's 300. Imagine flushing 16 grown men down the toilet over five years. Fuck. You can only flush them like uh, one turd-sized bundle at a time. Yeah, he had to melt them down. That evening, the bags were removed from his apartment. One bag was found to contain two dissected torsos, which had been vertically dissected, and a shopping bag containing various internal organs. The second bag contained a human skull, almost completely devoid of flesh, a severed head, and a torso with arms attached but hands missing. Both heads were found to be subjected to moist heat. Nilsson was adamant he was uncertain as to why he had killed, simply saying, listen to this shit. When they asked him why he killed, he said, I'm hoping you will tell me that. When asked his motive for the murders, he was adamant that the decision to kill was not made until moments before the act of each murder. Dennis, I think the answer might be you're an asshole. Yeah. After many years in prison, in May 2018, he was taken from his prison to New York Hospital or sorry, to York Hospital, after complaining of severe stomach pains, he was found to have a ruptured abdominal aortic aneurysm, poor guy, which was repaired, although he subsequently suffered a blood clot as a complication of the surgery, and he died at 72 years old. And also looks like the most serial killer of serial killers. If I remember right, he's got the Dwight Schrute glasses. He is the most Dwight Schrute-looking man on this list. I encourage you to Google search Dennis Nilsson and also Google search Fred and Rosemary West. Their pictures will give you chills. That was number five and six. Fuck, I feel like we need a palette cleanser and I have one. Okay. Let's read a few reviews. Oh, good. These are always complimentary about me. Mm, Not the first one. Mm. I have a negative review Uh and then a related but positive review. Okay. The negative review, I shared it on Twitter a few days ago. I saw this shit. This is on Apple Podcasts. It comes from, listen to the username, Littlest Cowboy. Oh. (laughs) Is this like a little bitty monkey cowboy? Here's his review. Two stars. Not one, so I'll give him that. Give him or her that. Quote, half the country likes Trump. No reason to insult him in an apolitical show. Keep politics and constant cursing out. Brandon, I'm going to open the floor to you first to respond. Fuck you, stupid idiot. (laughs) <laughs> uh i mean it, thanks for listening though and for reviewing us yeah it's my show or it's our show and if i want to say something like that we've never claimed that this is an apolitical show it's not political and subject matter but we can say whatever the fuck we want if you still like donald trump like just unsubscribe I'm, from the show i mean really yeah if it hurts your feelings you should just not listen my intention is not to hurt your feelings If you do like Donald Trump and it really hurts your feelings to hear us make fun of him, please don't listen because I will continue to do it. But just know if you continue to listen despite that and continue to let yourself get upset, it's because you are either stupid or evil. Or a little cowboy. If you're a... Littlest. If you don't know that he's horrible, then you're stupid. If you know anything about him and still support him, then you're evil. (laughs) It sucks. I guess you'd probably rather be stupid than evil. 
and, and claim that you didn't know all the horrible, dumbass, incompetent, shitty, cruel, evil things that he's done. The thing that gets me about this review is the quote, no reason to insult Trump in an apolitical show. Yeah, there is fucking reason to insult him. Anyway, and then uh, Brandon, are we going to keep the constant cursing out? No. He also asked us to keep the cost of cursing. You, no, you like, want to say again, if some... You don't want to take that under advisement? No, I don't. Some pieces of entertainment have cursing in them. Some people don't mind that or even like it. Some pieces of entertainment don't have it. If you hear cursing, you don't like it. Go listen to something else. Nobody wants to hear your fucking complaints. Well, Brandon, I'm really surprised. I thought you would have seen the light after Littlest Cowboys review. If you have like ideas for what we should or shouldn't like cover on the show... If you have ideas about the sound or if you have ideas for like stuff we could cover or bits or a game, if anything like that that you think would... Constructive feedback. Anything that would improve the show, great. But if you just don't like something I say, you need to re-examine your fucking life. That you're commenting on a podcast to say like, you hurt my feelings with something you said and I I didn't have the strength to turn it off. (laughs) He did have the strength to review us though. Well... I think Brandon nailed it. Yeah, my tweet was a little bit more succinct. Kiss my ass, Snowflake. Okay, I'm going to counteract Littlest Cowboys review with another review about Trump. You have not seen this one yet. Okay. This one's on Podchaser, though. Actually, this review is not about Trump, but it mentions Trump. Okay. From Mike underscore Ike. I love almost everything about this podcast, just not the reoccurring Trump hate. Okay. Though you'll probably, hang on, though you'll probably tell me to stop listening for saying that. Regardless, best podcast out there. Great content and personality. Also, hashtag hot dog Nick and hashtag Brandon deserves a raise. Oh, God damn this guy. Hey, thanks, dude. Yeah, he said, I don't like the Trump hate, but he didn't like... I don't know what to tell you. I don't like... He is objectively bad and it's like really dangerous. And if you don't hear people talk about it like it is abnormal and that it is dangerous, then you're ignoring it and you're a part of the problem. And if you can handle the fact that other people don't agree with you and that the rest of the time we'll talk about some other shit, yeah, that's fine. Uh, that's why I wanted to read Mike Ike's review because he told us what he thought of the podcast. The, the focus of his review was the podcast, right? right. It wasn't, yeah, I'm going to move so us along. So, let's move but, on from that. Yeah, but I just, real quick, I wanted to read Mike's review because you can listen to a show that disagrees with your political opinion, right? That's Mike. He likes our show even if he doesn't agree with our politics. That's fine. And if you... The point is, you just need to keep liking our show. Yeah. But I just mean the point is, either A, have a thick enough skin to be able to listen to something and enjoy content where not every opinion they have aligns with your opinions. That's option A. Or B, if you can't handle opinions being different than yours, then stop listening to our show. And by the way, Mike, Brandon does not deserve a raise. You know, any... A raise... What have you done to deserve a raise? (laughs) I would need a raise to be breaking even. <laughs> Same. Okay, I'm going to move us on. Okay. Thank you for the reviews. Yeah, thank if you, you want your review read, rate us, review us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. We got a long way to go. I don't think I know very more names. Give it a shot first before you give up. Okay, so I think I know what number one is. Am I correct that number one is number one by like far, right? Yes. Okay, I'll save that one because I do know what it is. I remembered this guy. The other one that I remember is the mur- the Moor, the Moors murders, the yes. murders on the Moors. Moors. Yeah, number nine. Number nine is the Moors murders, Ian Brady and Myra Hindley. These guys sucked. All right, they have. <laughs> when are we going to get to the ones that were awesome? <laughs> <laughs> 
number nine, they have five confirmed murders with a total possible murder count of 12. Five were proven. They are known for the Moore's murders. So the Moore's murders carried out by these two, Ian Brady and Myra Hindley, 1963 to 1965, in and around Manchester, England. The victims were five children. These are child killers. Pauline Reed, John Kilbride, Keith Bennett, Leslie Ann Downey, and Edward Evans were the victims aged between 10 and 17. Four of those were sexually assaulted. Characterized by the press as the most evil woman in Britain, uh, Myra Hindley made several appeals against her life sentence, claiming she was a reformed woman and no longer a danger to society, but was never released. She died in 2002 at age 60. Ian Brady was diagnosed as a psychopath in 1985 and confined <laughs> that is in the a high security. Badass diagnosis. Yeah, that's something you and Brady have in common. Fucking both. metal as hell. Psychopath. He died in 2017 after years of claiming he never wanted to be released. He died at age 79. Mm-hmm. The trial judge described Brady and Hindley in his closing remarks as, quote, two sadistic killers of the utmost depravity. My last note is how they got caught. I thought it was interesting. Mm-hmm. So they, they were killing these kids. And toward the end, they recruited Myra Hindley's brother-in-law to assist in getting rid of a body. Oh, this is where they went wrong. He turned them in and called the police the night of this. He, quote, arrived home around 3 a.m. and asked his wife to make a cup of tea, which he drank before vomiting and telling her what he had witnessed. At 6.10 a.m., having waited for daylight and armed himself with a screwdriver and bread knife in case Ian Brady was planning to intercept him. In case he was going to attack him with a loaf of (laughs) rye. (laughs) He finally called the police. Yeah, that's the Moore's murder. Ian Brady and Myra Henley at number nine. Okay. I guess I'm going to have to have some kind of help, or maybe I can guess another part of part of these. Okay. Um, let me give you a few hints of one I think you might know about. Have you heard of the Yorkshire Ripper? It sounds familiar. 1975 to 1980. Okay. That's okay. You don't have, have to guess it. it. Is his name kind of like, what's the name of that guy who was the Beatles? Peter Sutcliffe is his name. It's similar to, okay, maybe I'm getting confused with something else here. But anyway, tell me about Peter, what now? Sutcliffe or Sutcliffe. He's number four. He's known as the Yorkshire Ripper. He killed 13 women between 1975 and 1980. Most victims were killed by a combination of bludgeoning and stabbing, and all but two were killed in the county of Yorkshire. Let me tell you about his childhood. Through his childhood and early adolescence, Sutcliffe showed no signs of abnormal abnormality. This is a rare case where a serial killer had a fairly normal childhood, I think. Later, in part related to his occupation as a grave digger, red flag, if you're a grave digger, you're a serial killer, just admit it, he developed a macabre sense of humor. (laughs) Well, I think you gotta, don't you? (laughs) I mean, you and I might have one of those. What do you think, like, what is really the macabre sense of humor, the grave digger? I assume it's not very refined. Is that where, like, every time you make a joke, a crow caws, like, near <laughs> you, or bet, a raven I mean, his says jokes, nevermore? His jokes, I guarantee, are not, you know, like, they're not, like, witty comebacks, they're not limericks, they're not snappy one-liners, it's more like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, that one's got a big butt, ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't think we have... Yeah, I don't know. I'm just guessing they weren't good jokes. So, he's a grave digger with a macabre sense of humor, according to Wikipedia. In his late adolescence, he developed a growing obsession with voyeurism and spent much time spying on prostitutes and the men seeking their services. The Johns. 
He was married at one point, although I, I, I'm not certain if he was married at the time of the murders. He initially attacked women and girls in residential areas, but appears to have moved to red light districts because he was attracted to the vulnerability of prostitutes. After his arrest in Sheffield by the police for driving with a false number plate, it says, I assume that's a license plate, in 1981, he was transferred to the West Yorkshire police who questioned him about the killings. He confessed to being the perpetrator, saying that the voice of God had sent him on a mission to kill prostitutes. Why is God always telling people to kill people? Oh, I like to kill prostitutes specifically. It just happened to tell me to kill uh, people whose death or disappearance would make the least impact <laughs> in the world. Well, remember when God would tell like Moses to wipe out entire civilizations back in the Bible days? <laughs> Moses is like, even the prostitutes? <laughs> no, God told him to keep all the, how did he say it? The girl women or something? The women child, women children? Remember that? Oh, yeah. They Keep the women children for yourselves. That's right. Fuck it. Hell of a guy, God. Stop being so gross. Yeah, well, God also talked to this guy, told him to kill the prostitutes. At his trial, he pleaded not guilty to murder on the grounds of diminished responsibility. Basically, insanity plea here in America. He was convicted of murder on a majority verdict. The police were criticized for their failure to catch Sutcliffe despite having interviewed him nine times in the course of the five-year investigation. So they were interviewing people, hundreds, thousands of people for five years trying to find who was killing these prostitutes, and they interviewed him nine times. And I, I, that's just one of many notes. That there was a whole section in Wikipedia about the police's fucked up investigation here. Following his conviction, the government ordered a review of the investigation, known as the Byford Report. The findings were made fully public in 2006, and confirmed the validity of the criticism against the force. So the one positive to come out of all this is the report led to investigative procedures being changed, adopted across all UK police forces, and in 2019, the Guardian, the website, the Guardian, described the manhunt as, quote, stunningly mishandled. Can you imagine, you as a police officer, you interview someone nine times about if they know anything about these killings, and then it turns out it's him five years later, God. 13 victims later. How <laughs> shitty like, do you feel? It's like uh, when you, one of us tries to guess something nine times and we finally get it. And we're like, I knew it. <laughs> yeah, just like that. It's a lot like that, Brandon. Thank you for that. That's Peter Sutcliffe. Uh, Stuart Sutcliffe is the Beatle that I was thinking of, the former Beatle. He's the original bass player. That's really interesting. Can I tell you about number two? So that was f four. All right. Number two is semi-related because this guy has a higher body count. He was the most prolific serial killer in the United Kingdom until the late 90s, but he had little media attention because it was right in the middle of the trial of Peter Sutcliffe, the guy we just talked about, which was a much more high-profile case. So, this guy, despite having more victims, kind of went under the radar. And he's also not a traditional serial killer. He's not like any American serial killer I've heard of. Mm -hmm. He killed with arson. He killed 26 people, confirmed. He burned them up. Burned them up. His name is Bruce George Peter Lee. And this guy's interesting because he killed 26 people, but according to him, he would just burn random buildings without ever thinking about the people inside. And he just happened to rack up 26 victims. He's got fucking four first names. Bruce George Peter Lee. There's, I, as soon as he was named, there was a problem. I agree. He killed between 1973 and 1979. He confessed to 11 of the 26 murders. He was in prison in life in 1981. Let me tell you about his rough upbringing. He was born in Manchester in 1960, mm -hmm. the son of a prostitute. 
It's, uh, it's always prostitutes are involved. UK is crawling with with whores. God, Brandon, that's a that's the quote of the week here on the Tennis Podcast. <laughs> UK is crawling with whores. He's the son of a prostitute. He was brought up in children's homes and suffered from epilepsy and congenital spastic hemiplegia in his right limbs, which left him with a limp in his right leg and a compulsion to hold his right arm across his chest. I think you were trying to say congenital. Sure. It doesn't mean with genitals. Well, I mean, we'll have to, we'll have to confirm that later. For now, I'm going to assume it has to do with genitals. I'm going to assume his genitals were so swollen that that's what caused the it's limp. It's a birth defect. <laughs> <laughs> means birth defect. <laughs> Whatever. So, imagine he's like dragging his right leg and also he keeps his right arm like a bird with a damaged wing up. So, you know, he had an uphill battle socially. He was called locally uh, as Daft Peter, which is <laughs> never a good sign. <laughs> I love like the British words for stupid is daft. <laughs> Do you like too how his full name is Bruce George Peter Lee? They chose the third name yeah. to go with Daft. Daft Peter, his third name. Daft Peter. Okay, so here's what led to him becoming known. In December 1979, a fire broke out at the front of a house in East Riding of Yorkshire. Inside were Edith Hasty and her sons, Thomas, Charles, Paul, Peter, ages 8 to 15. The family was asleep at the time. The fire, either that night or later from injuries, killed all three sons. Yeah, getting burned up, I think, is pretty much the worst thing. Once the police established that this family, the Hasties, were known as, quote, a problem family, responsible for petty crime and vendettas, they began looking for an arsonist who may have been seeking revenge. Uh, Lee, the guy we're talking about, again, that's Bruce George Peter Lee, was one of many teenagers who volunteered to be questioned routinely about the fire. Six months after the inquiry began, he confessed in great detail to pouring, how do you say his word, paraffin? Yeah, paraffin. It's uh, kind of a wax, I believe. Yeah, he, he poured that no, it's, through the letter... It's, uh, it's oil. Oil, yeah, yeah, you're right. He poured it through the letterbox of the house, setting it alight in revenge against Charles Hasty, one of the sons, with whom he had a sexual relationship. Lee said the 15-year-old boy had threatened to go to the police as he was a minor unless Lee gave him money. So, the boy who was killed in the fire, he was in a sexual relationship with Lee, but he, well, the boy, he was... he molested. Yeah. He was 15, so he had been molested. It says with whom he had sexual contact. I guess you're right. I, sexual relationship, I apologize. That's not how I should have said it. Yeah, it's okay. We know what you meant. The, so that boy threatened to tell people unless Lee paid him money. Should have picked somebody with more money to throw around. Or Lee could have just picked not a 15-year-old to... Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's also an option here. But he was also ridiculed by the family for falling in love with the daughter, Angelina Hasty. This was the reason Lee had set the fire, according to him. I'll prove I'm not gay. I'll set your house on fire. <laughs> uh, to the complete surprise and horror of the police, Lee then went to confess to starting nine more fatal fires in the area over the previous seven years. None of the fires were treated with suspicion at the time. A total of 26 people died in the blazes, ranging from a six-month-old baby, a young mother and her three small sons, to 11 elderly men in a residential home. Dozens more were also burned or suffered from smoke inhalation or received injuries while escaping. Lee claimed that most of the fires were started at random because he, quote, loved fire, good reason, and he rarely considered whether he was endangering life when he started them. I'm going to guess that this dude spent the rest of his life in a mental institution. You got it, baby. 
In January 1981, he pleaded not guilty to 26 counts of murder, but guilty to 26 counts of manslaughter on the counts of diminished responsibility. He was... <laughs> Bold move. <laughs> Let's leave that way. Yeah, off. just diminished responsibility. Jesus. I don't get how you can say, well, I never... I like to burn buildings. I never thought about if people were dying inside. Yeah. That's not... That's bullshit. They could have run out. I guess it's not like first degree murder, but it's murder still. Lee was initially taken to a hospital and was later transferred to a different hospital. And like I said, although he was the most prolific killer in the UK at the time, he received relatively little national publicity because he was a manslaughter instead of a murderer and also because the trial of Peter Sutcliffe, number four on this list. It wasn't sexy enough. Yeah, not sexy enough. Arson is not as sexy as strangling innocent prostitutes. (laughs) Innocent prostitutes. That's number two. So how many do we have left here then? You have one, three, seven, eight, ten. Oh, Jesus. We better... Yeah, so let, me, let me just go here. Yeah. Number ten, Robert Black. Does that name ring a bell? Nope. He has four confirmed murders, but he may have up to 18. He did most of his killing in the UK, although there's some suspected murders in Ireland, Germany, Netherlands, and France. He killed from 1981 to 1986. Let me tell you about old Mr. Black here, and we're not talking Jack Black, because that'd be a lot more fun. A Scottish serial killer, Robert Black, and pedophile, who was convicted of the kidnap, rape, sexual assault, and murder of four girls between ages 5 and 11. To increase his scope for casual work, in the mid-1970s, Black bought a white Fiat van to enable him to commit to driving for a living. He literally wanted to kill, and so he thought, what's the best way to do that? I'll buy a van and drive for a living. It led to his downfall, though. In 1976, Black obtained a permanent job as a van driver. He was a white van man. Bad sign. The company he drove through uh, delivered posters typically depicting pop stars. <laughs> and so at the time, it would have been like, it was, it was like the 70s and 80s, it would have been like David Cassidy or like Donny Osmond. Oh, Donny Osmond. That'll drive you to kill. I just, you don't hear about that anymore. A van service to deliver posters of pop stars. <laughs> hey, you guys want posters of hot hunks to put on your walls? And he's just driving around playing the ice cream man song. <laughs> Instead of ice cream, it's just little images of like pop stars. Donny Osmond. Pop stars with bulges. Donny Osmond like gaping his asshole open. <laughs> I don't know why. To his employers, Robert Black was a uh, conscientious... <sighs> Conscientious, conscientious employee who was willing to under. This is from Wikipedia. He's willing to undertake the long distance deliveries some of his married coworkers disliked. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> Fucking married people. Fuck you. you if me- you're married, just unsubscribe from this show. You want me to drive over to molest town? Let Robert do that. Sure, I've got time for that. He would pick up his victims in the van and discard their bodies along his delivery route. Got points for efficiency, I guess. Sometimes hundreds of miles away. The victims would often remain in his van for days before being discarded. Okay, so his capture. The nationwide manhunt for Black was one of the most exhaustive UK murder investigations of the 20th century. He was caught in the act of kidnapping a six-year-old girl along his delivery route. Someone in a house saw him pull pull the girl into his van. And within minutes, he was stopped and caught. One of the officers, who was the father of the abducted girl, God. Uh-oh. Yeah, the father of the abducted girl was the officer on the scene. He opened the rear of the van and clambered inside, calling his daughter's name. Seeing movement in a sleeping bag, he untied its drawstring to discover his daughter inside, her wrist bound behind her back, legs tied together, her mouth bound and gagged with sticking plaster and a hood tied over her head. Oh. Imagine as a father, you're there in real time. 
uncovering this. You're not reading about it later or hearing about it later. That's just, ah, God, I cannot imagine that. He's lucky he didn't get beaten to death right there. But I don't know if he was there. At the, I mean. Like he fled the van maybe. Could be that or it could be other officers had detained him already or like he had already been taken away. Oh, and right. This officer, I mean, I don't know. I don't know those details. But you're right. If he was there, I probably would have gone to jail if it was me. Right after capture, Black said, quote, It was a rush of blood to the head. I've always liked little girl since I was a lad. I tied her up because I wanted to keep her until I had dropped a parcel off. I was going to let her go. Black claimed he had interfered with his victim only, quote, a little. <sighs> oh, okay, Robert. Well, only a little bit? Well, get the hell out of here, you crazy guy. I'll only shoot you at the base of your skull a little. A doctor found the victim had been subjected to a serious sexual assault, despite what Robert said. He had already abused her? He'd already yes. assaulted her? Yeah, and he said, I only did it a little and I was going to let her go. So, yeah, it, it gets even worse for that father cop that, like, she was already sexually abused. But at least she's alive. In 94, he was sentenced to life in prison. They don't do the death penalty there. At the... No. Yeah. He may have been responsible for several other unsolved murders throughout Britain and Ireland and continental Europe, although none of them have been confirmed. And he died of a heart attack at age 68 in 2016 Man. in prison. Fuck him. That's Robert Black, number 10. Okay, so we did number nine. Yeah, so number eight. He has a bunch of nicknames. See if any of these ring a bell. The Suffolk Murders. Was it Suffolk Strangler? Yeah. Yep. Steve Wright. Knew it. You know this guy? I just know the Suffolk Strangler. Yeah, he's also the Red Light Ripper, the East Anglia Ripper. He killed in 2006 only. It's a short time period and the most recent in the top 10, the only post-2000s killer in the top 10. Uh, he's number eight, Steve Wright. He murdered five prostitutes, all of whom worked in Ipswich in 2006. There are possible links to other killings that have not been confirmed. Prior to the murders, he managed a public house in South London. This post was lost due to his gambling and heavy drinking. He was convicted of 2001 of theft, having stolen 80 euros to pay off debts. This was his only criminal conviction prior to the murders. It is known that throughout these times, Wright built up large debts, largely through gambling, and had recently been declared bankrupt. Wright had twice tried to commit suicide, first by carbon monoxide poisoning, secondly by an overdose of pills. He was a regular customer of sex workers for most of his adult life. So this guy's got a winning recipe going yeah. here for life success. Between October and December 2006, about six weeks, that's it. God damn, six weeks is he, all the... He went berserk. Yeah. He murdered five sex workers in Ipswich. Forensic evidence led to his arrest. He was found guilty of all five murders on, in 2008. On the following day, he was sentenced to life imprisonment and the judge recommended he should never be released. Now, this is an interesting note. The prostitutes he worked with, the sex workers, nicknamed him the Mondeo Man and Silver-backed Gorilla because of his hair color and stocky build. <laughs> Some said he liked dressing up in tight women's clothing and wearing a black curly wig. Wright is still being investigated in connection with other unsolved murders. That's Steve Wright. What do the sex workers call you? Boss. Okay. Daddy. Oh, man, I regret asking. Okay. Have you heard of number seven, the Stockwell Strangler? I haven't. Well, he killed in 1986 seven people. Kenneth Erskine is his name. He killed old people. One of those. Uh, he was known as the Stockwell Strangler. He was a burglar who raped and strangled at least seven elderly women after breaking into their homes. Why are you raping the whole... I mean... Something sad about that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're all sad, but why? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
that 88-year-old woman probably thought, I'm safe. My yeah, days of my... being a possible rape victim are gone. I can, I can go to the grocery store in peace now. No. Nope. I don't know. You it... can't. Didn't Richard Ramirez do this too? Yeah. I don't know. I think it had also, it probably has a lot to do with their like vulnerability. Same with like, you know, prostitutes are vulnerable because they'll get into a dark car with a stranger or go with them somewhere. But old, you know, elderly people may have like health or whatever issues that make it difficult for them to like fight back or flee. And my guess is that's part of the reason that they're targeted by fucking sickos. I read too that a lot of these women, he didn't even have to break in. Their doors were just open and unlocked. Yeah, and this was the in. 80s. This is, before, uh, well, this is before crime had really been invented. He began with a number of burglaries. He was able to open 10 separate bank accounts with the proceeds of his crimes. During 1986, he murdered at least seven elderly people, breaking to their homes and strangling them. Most often, they were sexually assaulted. His first victim, Nancy Ems, was 78. She died in 1986, April. It was only established later that she had been murdered when her home help noticed that her television set was missing from her flat because this asshole had to not only break in, rape, kill her, but steal her fucking TV. He kind of uh, sounds a little similar to uh, the East Area Rapist. Uh, He was breaking into people's houses and stealing, except the East Area Rapist stole things just for fun or to fuck with them as trophies but not this guy wasn't that smart no. I'll, I'll tell you why he he was in his 20s he had issues his final victim his seventh known victim uh florence tisdale 83 year old widow who lived on her own she was strangled and raped she was found dead by her caretaker in july 1986 erskine was arrested or is it erskine or erskine i don't know he was arrested in july 28th 1986 at a social security office <laughs> he was picking up chicks <laughs> oh fuck Police were then able to match his palm print to one left at one of the murder scenes, and he was identified in a police lineup. A homeless drifter and solvent abuser, Erskine was in his early 20s. Solvent abuser. He huffed paint. (sighs) Yeah, jackass. He was in his early 20s when he committed the crimes. He was convicted of his seven murders, and during his trial, he was seen to be masturbating in the courtroom. Hey, man. He was... (sighs) Did anybody stop and ask if maybe he was super horny? Did they ever consider that? Yeah. There might be a reason he was doing that. Unfair to rush to judgment. I agree. So he was found guilty in 1988, sentenced to life imprisonment. However, a report in 2006 refers to an assessment of Erskine done that concludes that he had chronic schizophrenia, antisocial personality disorder, and that this had probably been the case during his murders. And in July 2009, following an appeal, his murder convictions were reduced to manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility. In that process, uh, in court, he was scolded by the judge for falling asleep and snoring during this appeal trial. I mean, it is kind of disrespectful. I mean, I know like he had mental issues, but like it was not manslaughter. Sorry. All right. All we have left is number three and number one. Number three, I've got no clue. Okay. I'm out. I'm tapped out of UK serial killer knowledge. This is a group. It's actually a gang, but I put them all together. Number three is the Shankill Butchers. I have not heard of them. They're an interesting little group. I had not heard of them either, but their killing years were 1975 to 1982 in the United Kingdom. The Shankill Butchers were an Ulster loyalist gang that was active uh, in Belfast, Northern Ireland. It was based in the Shankill area and was responsible for the deaths of at least 23 people, most of whom were killed in sectarian attacks. Oh, like... 
I have a definition from Wikipedia. Sectarianism is a form of prejudice, discrimination, or hatred arising from attaching relations of inferiority and superiority to differences between subdivisions within a group. Essentially, racism and oh. like religious bigotry. Right. They like to kill Catholics. The gang was notorious for kidnapping, torturing, and murdering random Catholic and suspected Catholic civilians. What Each country was, was this in? Northern Ireland. Yeah, they had a bit of... <laughs> They had, I was going to say, they had a bit of trouble up there. And in fact, that's what they called it. They called it the Troubles. Yeah. I saw that note when I was doing this, but... A bit of trouble. I'd call that a bit of trouble. Okay, so people that they even suspected of being Catholic, they'd seek them out, kidnap, torture, murder them, beaten ferociously, and had their throat hacked with a butcher's knife. Some were also tortured with a hatchet. Most of the gang was eventually caught in February 1979. They received the longest combined prison sentencing in United Kingdom legal history. However, gang leader Lenny Murphy, he was the founder, leader, and his two chief lieutenants escaped prosecution. 11 men were convicted of the murders with 42 life sentences in total. So what happened to the leader, old Lenny? He skipped town. He skipped town. I'm not quite sure how he avoided this. But anyway, he was uh, three years later assassinated by an Irish Republican Army hit squad. Sounds about right. Yeah, I think he got what was coming to him. My last note, the butchers brought a new level of paramilitary violence to a country already hardened by death and destruction. The judge who oversaw the 1979 trial described their crimes as, quote, a lasting monument to blind sectarian bigotry. So yeah, these were gang killings, 23 deaths. So, number one, I do know, I do remember this guy, Harold Shipman. You got it. Harold Shipman, he is number one. 218 confirmed murders, but many suspect it's as high as 250. It's over a 20-year period, 70s through the 90s. English practitioner, believed to be the most prolific serial killer in world history. And do you remember at the top of the show, I mentioned that UK only had one representative in the top 40, other than an exception? Yeah, and it was this guy. Harold Shipman's the exception because he could kill in broad daylight, essentially. He, yeah. you know, he didn't have to take the tactics that other serial killers did. Anyway, in January 2000, a jury found Shipman guilty of the murder of 15 patients under his care. The Shipman Inquiry, a two-year-long investigation of all the deaths certified by Shipman, inquiry identified 215 victims and estimated his total victim count at 250, about 80% of whom were elderly women. Shipman's youngest confirmed victim was a 41-year-old man, although significant suspicion arose that he had killed patients as young as four years old. Oh. Growing up, let me tell you about this guy. Shipman was particularly close to his mother, who died of lung cancer when he was 17. Mother issues is very common among serial killers. Right. Her death came in a manner similar to what later became Shipman's own modus operandi. In the later stages of her disease, she had morphine administered at home by a doctor. Shipman witnessed his mother's pain subside despite her terminal condition until her death in 1963. The takeaway here is he saw his mother die, but she died pain-free because of the morphine. Right. That sounds pretty good, the morphine part. Yeah, can be. In March 1998, a colleague of Shipman's, prompted by a funeral parlor, expressed concerns to the coroner of the South Manchester District about the high death rate among Shipman's patients. Oh, God. Yeah. Can you imagine you're a funeral parlor? Your business thrives on more bodies coming in. <laughs> you keep hearing this fucking guy's name come up. They're like, yeah, the guy, damn, this doctor. He did his best, but he didn't pull through. And, you know, Dr. Shipman, he, he's like, Doc, 
every fucker comes in here is mentioning this name, Dr. Shipman. He's, you're talking about Harold Shipman, gray hair, beard. Yeah, yeah. He's like keeping a tally. Well, that sounds like what happened. But imagine how many bodies have to come in from the same doctor to where a funeral parlor is like, we got to say something. I mean, that's, that's a lot. So, in particular, the colleague was concerned about the large number of cremation forms for elderly women. The matter was brought to the attention of the police who were unable to find sufficient evidence to bring charges. The shipment inquiry later blamed the police for assigning inexperienced officers to the case. A lot of police faulty work on today's episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, Between April 98 and when the police abandoned the investigation and Shipman's eventual arrest, not much later, he killed three more people. So, even after he knew the police were on to him, he was still killing. Shipman's last victim was Kathleen Grundy, who was found dead at her home on June 24th, 98. He was the last person to see her alive. He later signed her death certificate recording, quote, old age as the cause of death. I didn't think, I didn't think doctors would write old age. Worn out. Busted. (laughs) Croaked. Yeah. (laughs) Gave up the ghost. Dirt nap. (laughs) Worm food. Sorry, she's the victim. I'm sorry. We're making fun of the dumb fucking yeah, thing that true. he wrote on the... Old age is the cause of death. Uh, so, the victim, Grundy's daughter, uh, became concerned when solicitor Brian Burgess informed her that a will had been made, apparently by her mother, the victim. There were doubts about its authenticity. The will excluded the daughter and her children, but left 386,000 euros to shipment. I'd like to <laughs> leave 386,000 euros to the creepy old man standing over me with a hypodermic needle. You can just take it from my child's stash. Yeah. Yeah, red flag. The daughter went to the police who began an investigation. The old lady Grundy's body was exhumed and when examined, she was found to contain certain traces of heroin. Shipman claimed that she was an addict and showed them comments he had written to that effect in his computerized medical journey. <laughs> computerized medical journal. <laughs> Just say in his computer. Yeah, your, your blog? <laughs> computerized. Your Word document? I hope everyone's enjoying this podcast on your computerized audio listening yeah. device. Uh, examination of his computer showed that they, the, you know, he had claimed she was an addict and that he had taken comments on that before her death. Yeah. It was found that he made them after. It's like when you say, oh, I made this document last week and uh, you must have just missed it. And then you look at the date that the file was created on. You're like, you fucker, you created this this morning. Oh, and he was found to own a, the typewriter, the same typewriter that was used to forge the will. You dumbass. You dumbass doctor. You should have been fucking smarter than this. But first of all, you're a fucking doctor. Do you need to steal money from people? Just fucking accept your doctor money. Do you think doctors in the US get paid more? I don't really know. I guess it depends. Like if you have your own practice or something, you probably make more money, right? Tell you what, here's what I'll do. I'll go to school, become a doctor in America, and then I'll go to school and become a doctor in the United Kingdom, and I'll compare (laughs) the salaries and get back to you in about 20 years. Sound good? Your wife and kids are just like, it's been years since we've seen him. It's not worth it. It's all for, hey. Please come home. We can do more research another way. The listeners need, they depend on hashtag Nick's notes for the most up-to-date, accurate information. We'll be taking a break while you go to medical school. (laughs) So, Shipman, there's a lot of evidence against him, but he consistently denied his guilt because of course he did up until his death. He disputed scientific evidence against him. He never made any public statements about his actions, never apologized, never showed remorse. His wife, whose name was Primrose, a red flag, uh, steadfastly maintained her husband's innocence even after his conviction. 
Much of the UK's legal structure concerning healthcare and medicine was reviewed and modified as a result of his crimes. He was the only British doctor in history to have been found guilty of murdering his patients. Diagnosis, murder. And do you want to know how it all ended for him? Uh, I'm going to guess either fucking died of a heart attack in prison or killed himself. Mr. Innocent, remember, he's innocent. Uh Uh-huh. He killed himself the day before his 58th birthday in 2004. He's dead. Harold Shipman, hell of a guy. How'd he do it? Hanged himself? I guess if you're in prison, you're just pretty much going to hang yourself. Hanging himself in his cell. We did it. Do you feel... (laughs) Do you feel better or worse about life? I don't feel good. <laughs> a bunch of dickheads. Yeah, a bunch of dickheads in here. I think the one that gets to me most is still Fred and Rosemary West. I know they didn't have the most victims. We, we started out pretty hardcore. Sorry. Yeah, they're, they're awful people. Listeners of the show. Well. Listening from hell. Hey, listen, we'll take their patronage at least. <laughs> we might be playing in a corner of hell. It's true. Where all the Trump supporters have to get sent to hell, then it's just us playing in the background. Oh, fuck. Okay. Littlest cowboys pulling his fucking hair out. (laughs) I thought hell was apolitical down here. (laughs) Ah, All right. Should we go back through the top 10? Yeah. Don't you want to relive this? You better sum it up pretty quick before somebody hangs themselves in a jail cell. This is the most prominent serial killers in the United Kingdom's history based on body count. Number 10 is Robert Black, who has a confirmed kill count of four. He's the one that had the van caught in the act. The officer's daughter was found in the back of the van. Number nine is Ian Brady and Myra Henley. They have five confirmed murders. The Moores murders, they killed kids. Number eight is Steve Wright, also known as the Suffolk Strangler. He has five confirmed kills. He killed five prostitutes in a six-week span. Number seven is Kenneth Erskine or Erskine. He killed seven people confirmed. He's the Stockwell Strangler. He was the one who killed elderly women in their homes and masturbated in court. Number six, (laughs) he did. I make it good. Like, you know, um, on... Twitter, like you click on someone's profile, there's like a little bitty bio, like a, just a couple lines of a bio. And yep. a really good one is masturbated in court. And fell asleep and snored during his life sentencing. Sure, he already came. <laughs> so that was seven. Six is Dennis Nilsson, 12 confirmed murders. He's the guy who flushed KFC and body parts down his <laughs> fucking toilet for five years. Didn't think that would come back to bite him in the ass. Number five, the most evil on the list, Fred and Rosemary West, 12 confirmed murders, including one of their own daughters. They raped their own children. Uh, They buried bodies under the house. Number four, Peter Sutcliffe, or Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper. He has 13 confirmed murders, all women. I think most or all were prostitutes, sex workers. And number three was the Shankill Butchers. That's the gang that liked to kill Catholic people, tortured them. 23 confirmed murders. Number two, Bruce George Peter Lee, or as his local community called him, Daft Peter. (laughs) He was the... uh, Bit of a dunce. He killed uh, 26 people through arson. Claims he didn't even think about the people inside the buildings he was burning. And number one, listener of the show in hell, Harold Shipman, the most prolific serial killer in the history of the world. 218 murders all by, I guess you'd call it lethal injection, right? Of mostly old people. Yeah, I guess so. Well, I have to say, the research from today's list will stick with me for a while. I'm sorry for the unpleasant nature of today's list, but I hope you found it interesting, fascinating. I'm sorry, but I did it anyway. 
And I hope at your next family gathering or work party, which will probably be virtually from your home for a while, but in your next Zoom meeting, you can inform your boss and your colleagues about how Dennis Nilsson flushed dead bodies down the toilet. And, and make everybody like worried about you spending <laughs> your quarantine time. Just like they're worried about me right now, I assume. That's a lot of time locked in a small space with your family reading about how to murder people. Well, uh, my family's safe. Everything's going fine here. I haven't thought about murdering my family once. I haven't thought about chasing them around with an axe. I haven't thought. God damn. Just stop. I haven't thought about. You're just making everyone uncomfortable. I haven't thought about any of that stuff yet. We're not going crazy. Okay. That's the top 10. Maybe we'll do other countries later. Brandon, anything chapping your ass this week you want to close us out with? No, I think we already got my, my chapped ass stuff out of the way with, uh, with that review. All right, then I have three requests for our listeners before we go. Request number one, wash your hands, keep six feet away from people, stay in your homes. Request number two, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 10ISHPOD. We know you have nothing better to do for the next month. It's true. Month plus, right? Yeah. And request number three, go support this show on Patreon at patreon.com slash tennispod. Get early access to episodes like today's episode, bonus episodes that you can only listen to there. Yeah, and it's a great way to support our show and keep us going. Brandon, you have next week's episode 82 top 10 listing. Can you please make it something happy and light and I'm not say, this? We've been, I got to bring something silly. Yeah, something silly. Ooh, I feel dirty. I need a shower. But I usually feel that way, so it's hard to tell if it's the normal needing a shower after talking to you for two hours or if it's the shower because of today's material. I think Probably it's all cold. the incest. Yeah. All right, that's enough from us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Wait, I got to say something else that the last word out of my mouth in this episode is an incest. Bye, everybody. Bye. Don't have incest.